Bienvenidos and welcome back to Puro Pinche Gol, the place we discuss all things USMNT y la Selección Mexicana. My name is Adrian. I'm joined once again by my co-host and Tocayo Adrian. Adrian, what's going on, man? How are you doing this this evening, bro? What's up, dude? Excited to be here once again at the pod. I'm ready to talk more about La Selección Mexicana and the USMNT. And I'm just glad that the Nations League is partially in pause. <laughs> yeah, give us a time to breathe and uh, kind uh-huh. of recover there. Um, and hopefully gets La Selección Mexicana some time to kind of, uh, you know, step it up. <laughs> to, Digo, to, be, to be nice. They need it. Yep. Yeah, Lord knows they need it. Um <laughs> So on this episode, man, we're going to be discussing a topic we've kind of been wanting to discuss for a while. Um, mm-hmm. El Estadio Azteca, uh, the Azteca Stadium there in La Ciudad de México, uh, you know, once was a fortress for the El Tri, for La Selección Mexicana, no longer seems to really give Mexico that that edge that it used to be, uh, that it used to do so. Um, so we're going to discuss, you know, why we think that is, what has changed, why does uh, Mexico not perform uh, to the standards that you know they have so in the past there at their you know their home coliseum their home stadium um, before we get into that Adrian, remind our listeners man where can they uh, listen to us for sure um if they want to see your pretty faces they can find us on youtube don't forget to subscribe hit the like button and turn on the notifications if you're just okay listening to our beautiful voices you can find us on apple Podcasts, and spotify or wherever you get your podcast on cool yeah let's get right into it so um, you know, a f- couple, you know, key facts about El Estadio Azteca here before we really kind of try to analyze what's been going on there. Um, you know, it's one of FIFA's and one of the world's most prestigious, most, um, you know, honored stadiums, really. Um, it's hosted 19 FIFA World Cup matches and two finals. It's the only stadium to host, you know, two finals. It's recorded six of the 10 biggest World Cup attendance records. Uh, it's the only Damn. stadium to, yeah, man, I mean... Big stadium. It's the only stadium to have hosted four FIFA tournaments: the World Cup, the U20 World Cup, the U17 World Cup, and the Confederations Cup. And uh, you know, it's special because uh, it's located 2,200 meters, 7,200 feet above sea level, making it a pain to play at. And it's a stadium where two of the greatest uh, footballers of all time, Pele and Maradona, have won uh, the World Cup. Obviously, Maradona having won it with the hand of God, la mano de Dios, there uh, in the 80s. Um, yeah, so I mean, really a legendary stadium that's seen its um, fair share of remodels over the year. It used to mm-hmm. fit a lot more people. Um, I mean, it still fits a lot, but uh, you know, it's it's been modernized to have suites and to have you know all the luxurious uh, modern day uh, amenities there. So uh, it's definitely uh, changed over the years. Yeah, <clears throat> I do want to uh, share an anecdote that I have once when I was younger. Um, as you know, Estadio Azteca is, is the house of America and now also house of Cruz Azul. But when Atlante was in Liga MX at the top flight, uh, Atlante also used to play at Azteca. There was one time I went to see Atlante, uh, Tigres against Atlante. And, uh, dude, the, of course, it's, it's a huge stadium for Atlante. Not that many people went to see Atlante. Um, and the tickets were, if you buy an order of tacos, like I think one of the tacos was five type tacos, 100 pesos, like 20 years ago, right? Um, they give you two tickets. So we went in. The stadium was so empty that I yelled Chamagol, and the guy turned around like he was <laughs> playing. I yelled, I yelled his name. He turned around. He said hi, and I just gave him the finger. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it was so empty that, that he, he was able to, to hear my, my yell from like, a huge distance. 
<laughs> it was just funny. Dang, man. An order of five tacos and you get... That's hilarious. That's the expensive thing. You have to buy that in order to get the free freaking exactly. tickets. Two tickets. Oh, my God. That was funny. That's, that's hilarious, man. Um, do you think they're going to build a monument to uh, Chabelo there? <laughs> man, <laughs> get out of here, dude. <laughs> Yeah, they already gave him a ton of error on, on the broadcast of the last few games, so I don't think he deserves <laughs> that anymore. <laughs> All right, let's move on from Chavez. Um, so, yeah, as we were saying, man, so obviously El Estadio Azteca was Mexico's uh, fortress for the longest time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before 2001 and an event called El Aztecaso, where Mexico lost for the first time an important FIFA official match, a uh, World Cup qualifying match to Costa Rica, uh, Mexico had never lost. I mean, I'm sure they had maybe lost uh, amistosos, friendlies that didn't really care, right? But um, official FIFA, you know, sanctioned matches, World Cup qualifying, Confederations Cup, uh, etc. Uh, Olympic qualifying, they had never lost um, for the you know the the main national team, not counting the youth teams. Um, they went around 24 games in a row without losing uh, to a Concacaf team, you know, in all competitions. And, um, you know, yeah, 20, 21 wins directly from 1990 to 2001 at that stadium, which is, you know, insane. Um, yeah, man. You, I think for the longest time they were the, the team, the only country in the world that had like a, a, a record that long unbeaten at, you know, one of their stadiums. So definitely a record to be proud of there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at, at this point, to before 2001, Mexico had never lost any World Cup qualifiers at El Azteca. Steady, uh, Azteca. And um, so, you know, fast forward to 2001, they lose to Costa Rica. And we kind of see a, uh, a shift as mm-hmm. to um, what's what happens there. You know, necessar- it's not necessarily a, um, oh, man, everything, you know, is under the water now everything's bad you know they lose every game now no i mean you know i think since that's the caso they've probably lost two or three important matches one to honduras as well and i think one to canada um and that's it i mean they what people analyze and what we're analyzing here though is that when they used to always win and win you know handedly they're tying a lot more now and they're losing more frequently now at their home stadium so uh, why why do we think that is, man? You know, uh, Mexico, from the last nine games there, they've tied four uh, of the last nine, which, you know, back in the day would have been nine wins. Um, <clears throat> so wh- what do you think has been causing this? Um, you know, we know that against the USA, they, you know, before 2001, they were dominant 3-1, 5-1, 0-0 tie, 97 then a 1-0 win, 2-1 win, 2-1 win. It wasn't until um, the Brazil 2014 when USA got a 0-0 draw and then the uh, Russia 2018 cycle, they got a 1-1 draw. So they've tied the last two times they've played in the World Cup qualifiers to, um, well, I guess the 2022 World Cup one was a loss for the USA. But um, yeah, so let's let's get into it, man. What, what do you think has caused uh, Mexico to kind of regress here in the last 20 years there at, the, at their uh, home stadium? So I think there's definitely like a plethora of things that uh, have have happened from the 2001 cataclysmic event in the history of La Selección Mexicana and El Azteca. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that everything has to do with Azteca. Like if we, if we go by parts, right, and we only discuss the Azteca 
part of this discussion, right? Is I think it's a, it's a combination of a few things. Uh, I don't know if you recall this, but uh, I, I I don't really know when they shifted, but there was I, I want to say like anywhere between the 2010s, uh, Televisa and Tevasteca decided that in in the in the interest of improving uh, ratings for La Selección Mexicana for uh, World Cup play, qualifying games at El Azteca, uh, they moved the schedule from playing at noon in, in El Azteca to playing at night. So normally you will see them playing before, I don't know, the 2010s, they were playing, they normally play either a Saturday or Sunday at noon, most likely Sunday at noon. And that was like a classic uh time and date for mexico during world cup qualifiers in el estadio azteca mm-hmm. after t- the 2010s they started they moved it to i think saturdays or it's still sundays but like from 7 p.m or 9 p.m so they moving from like a you know the the noon time to a prime time at night in in sunday so that not only takes away the home turf advantage which means that uh apparently and don't quote me on this but Do your own research. Apparently, scientifically speaking, from a scientific sport, scientifically speaking, um, it's whenever you go and play at a, at a, at a place where uh, you have high altitude, like the Azteca, it's, it doesn't have as much as an effect if you play at night. If you're playing, you know, during the day with the sun plummeting on your face, of course, that adds to the, to the complication of things, to the challenge, right? But apparently playing at night diminishes the effect uh, of, I guess, suffocation or running out of breath uh, while you're playing. So that's one thing that, you know, Las Televisoras decided to, you know, get rid of that home turf advantage in, in the interest of improving ratings. So that's one thing. The other thing is also that <clears throat> I think as Mexico progresses into having more players uh, going to Europe or playing outside of the Mexico, Mexico City teams, Uh, they are not used to altitude anymore. So even when you have, you know, 60% of your roster being co- coming from Liga MX, most of those players do not play at a Mexico City team. So they also have to get used to the altitude when playing for Mexico. And the thing is that now they're not even allowing allowing La Selección Mexicana to have like, a, you know, this, this you know, micro camps or micro ciclos as Diego Coca and Tata Mesquino called, called them. Um, where they have the players for at least a week. So they get used to the altitude. And once they have to play against the opposition, whoever the name may be, Jamaica, Honduras, El Salvador, Estados Unidos, whoever the case may be, uh, now they, they no longer have that advantage. They are essentially having the same advantage as the, 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 the rival at that specific point in time because you know they also have to get used to the freaking altitude. Um, and then on top of that, I don't know if you noticed this, but El Azteca went through a renovation, I believe, during the pandemic years, or shortly before the pandemic years, um, right. which reduced the attendance from, I think, 100 and something K, 105K, 110K to 88K, I believe. And that portion uh, was renovated to become like uh, club seats and like, a, like a entertainment areas for the people visiting the stadium. I haven't been there. It's been a while. I haven't seen it, but that's what I've read. Um, and people are saying that it all that also reduces, I guess, the the effect of having fans pressuring you all the time. That is making the stadium to be more like a uh, like an elevated uh, experience rather than benefiting or 
allowing the fans to be to 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 I guess have that presence felt more on the on the pitch. Um, and there are also people saying that because of that they raised the the ticket prices, which I think it's a double-edged sword uh, because on the last national uh, national league game, I, I heard that they were they were essentially giving away the tickets for a hundred pesos. <laughs> um, but there were people saying that because of the ticket increase, you have more uh, fancy people going to the stadiums that not necessarily yell a lot or they don't really are fans of La Selección Mexicana. They're just there because they want to experience, I guess, the stadium and whatnot. So I would say that's a couple of things I had to do that are, that are Azteca related. Uh, right. Things that contribute to Mexico struggling against Concacaf opposition in the recent what, 15 years, maybe. Yeah, no, you bring up a, a good point. Um, you know, you mentioned you know they they put club seats, they put suites, they put all these amenities there that kind of elevate the experience. And um, you know what you see now, it's kind of what you see here in the states, where a lot of the tickets are kind of bought up by companies. And um, kind of to, as like a social bonding event and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, outings for the team, for the, for the job mm-hmm. or whatever. And uh, they end up either not going, which, uh, you know, they buy 100 tickets and only 30, 20, 30 people go. And that leaves, you know, 100, you know, 70 empty seats. So um, it all, you know, ultimately comes back to affect, you know, the less people you have in the stadium, the less yeah. home advantage you got, you know, the less, you know, p- real fans you have yelling and, you know, apoyando la selección and whatnot. Um, or criticando la selección when it matters. Um, but yeah, um, what what do you think has has the opposition, the, the CONCACAF opposition, um, improved to the point where, you know, it the the effects of El Estadio Azteca, the uh, the prestige of El Estadio Azteca is kind of just nullified at this point. Uh, can we, you know, we, we kind of said the changes that have happened to the Estadio uh, have played its role in, you know, some of these losses, some of these ties, the the, the dominance that's no mm-hmm. longer there. Um, you know, the USA has obviously gotten better in the last four years since they didn't qualify the World Cup. Don't even mention Canada. Canada's, you know, been doing crazy things since, you know, the last four years. Um, mm-hmm. Costa Rica, though their team is older, you know, we saw what they did in 2014 at the World Cup. And, you know, you know they, they have a decent squad, uh, you know, every now and then. Uh, Jamaica, we just got through seeing them tie Mexico 2-2. Good team. Can, can it just be the fact that, you know, these opposing teams are just better or have caught up to Mexico now that, you know, it doesn't, you know, that, that advantage is gone. Should Mexico maybe say, you know, maybe we could spread our reach now. I know this is kind of a double-edged question. Maybe we could go play Monterrey, Guadalajara, something, you know, we're not seeing the, you know, our advantage anymore. I mean, why stay here? Yeah, no, you, you bring a really good point. Uh, well, actually, two really good points. And uh, I want to address the first one, which is the opposition. Um, I think there is a valid argument, a very strong argument, uh, when we discuss the, the gap or the, uh, the difference between Mexico in the, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, and even in the early 2000s, when you looked at Mexico as a you know national team against the likes of the U.S., Canada, even the Caribbean uh, nations, there was a huge gap in, you know, uh, there was a huge disadvantage gap between the level of technique and professionalism that Mexico had with its uh, national team and it's a uh, national league compared to, you know, the, the MLS just barely starting in, in the U S uh, Canada, not even being, not even having like a professional league. Right. 
And most of these Caribbean nations were essentially calling up like plumbers, carpenters, teachers, and all that stuff, right? So that that also adds adds added to the to the situation where Mexico was the giant of CONCACAF for the longest time. And I think they realized that. And so the, the argument here was that the Caribbean nations, the Central American nations, and the North American nations had a shorter gap to race up to the challenge and meet Mexico at the same level than Mexico making the jump and competing against the big names in South America or middle to big names in Europe. Like Mexico was, has always being challenged to reach the level of Uruguay, to reach the level of Brazil, Argentina, who are the who are like the uh, the, the comparison points or the direct comparison points for Mexico at the point in time, and also like the likes of, I don't know maybe Spain, maybe uh, maybe uh, Portugal, uh, in in a, in, a, in a weird dream maybe Germany, but that was like the aspiration of Mexico. Nowadays, uh, you there's I mean there's 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 no denying that the likes of the USMNT, Canada, and Jamaica have made leaps forward to meet Mexico and even arguably have a stronger and more competitive team than what Mexico has right now. Uh, US, the USMNT and, and Canada have made a, a great job on making crucial changes on their national leagues, uh, increasing the level of popularity for the sport in their nations, um, allowing young talent to leave their academies and go play in Europe. And even, they, even if they don't make it in Europe, they come back to the local teams and they have they raise the bar for that competitiveness, right? Uh, Jamaica is, is doing a great job on taking advantage of that dual national, uh, uh, dual nationals situation. They, I mean, if you look at their last roster, out of the 11 uh, starting players, eight of them were born in England, right? Right. So... I think there's there's a there's a lot of tools on the box that these nations are using to meet Mexico, and in some cases, like the last World Cup qualifying, even though the U.S. qualifies third, uh, there's a strong argument that the U.S. has an hegemonia uh, over Mexico because over the last three direct matches, what Mexico lost three of them, two of them being the nation the Nations League final and the World Cup final back in 2021 and mm-hmm. and 2020. Uh, Canada showed up to the Azteca and essentially, you know, make a fool out of Mexico. And when was the last time you thought when Canada showed up to Azteca was going to be a tough game? Right. It's been a, yeah, it's been it's been years, years, years. I never, ago. never, honestly. Exactly. It was always a guaranteed win. Uh huh. And I think if you look at uh, at the history between Jamaica and Mexico, I think Mexico, I think Jamaica hasn't won in Azteca yet, but they haven't. They have really caught up to Mexico in the sense that. They're not losing every single time that they step on Azteca anymore. So, um, in top of Azteca, of Azteca becoming, you know, an older stadium, getting renovated and changing the experience, and maybe removing some of the fan pressure from the pitch and making it more like a, a, a well thought out uh, entertainment complex, right? Uh, yeah. It's also there's also a reality that Mexico is slacking. It's slacking. It's lagging behind against the Concacaf competition. Uh, Canada and the USMNT are, are eating Mexico's lunch in terms of exporting players to Europe. Uh, and the Caribbean nations are, are realizing that, you know, they can take the scraps out of all those European nations that they don't want. Uh, I guess the, the, the scrap of players that those the likes of uh, Netherlands, France, um, England, 
don't want on their teams and they can just call them up. Like also, if you look at Suriname's uh, roster, a lot of them play in uh, Eredivisie, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they're starting to realize that and that's that's going to be, you know, and that's the next frontier for Mexico to start realizing like, well, maybe I have to ought to start looking at dual nationals now. Like look at all the at all the like watches in in freaking the United States and all the and all those uh, people, uh, all the all those kids that are out there in Europe uh, that have you know, uh, you know, a, a, a Mexican mom or a Mexican dad or Mexican grandparents. It's 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 bound for the for La Selección Mexicana to start looking into those, dabbling into those uh, areas. For sure, um, definitely a lot of potential there, and. Uh, you brought up a good point how, but before Mexico was, you know, the king of the CONCACAF, el grande de la CONCACAF, they were aiming higher to be, you know, one of the top elite ten, uh, teams. When now I think their aim has shifted from being one of the top teams in the world to shit, we need to be the king of the CONCACAF again. <laughs> yes. That's probably their new goal. When, uh, and, you know, these smaller Caribbean or uh, Central American teams are probably playing with the mentality of, you know, we don't have to be afraid of these guys anymore. Um, exactly. You know, we've we've gotten results against them. Like Jamaica, I think out of the last five games, they've drawn two, lost two, and won one. Exactly. So something like that, something crazy. And that's that one that they won was eliminating Mexico from the Gold Cup back in 2018, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they've won important matches against them. Um, but yeah, on, on to my other point here, Adrian, um, do you think Mexico, I know, We've t- kind of talked about this in a previous episode that um, La Selección Mexicana outside of maybe Mexico and Guadalajara isn't that, especially in the north in the north of Mexico, isn't too, too popular. Yeah. Um, do you think Mexico should, La Selección, make a effort to kind of expand now that they realize, you know, uh, you know, El Azteca isn't the fortress that it used to be. Should we go play in Guadalajara, Monterrey, Torreón, um, all these other places? Yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely the case of just exploring the idea of moving uh, or rotating uh, uh, La Selección Mexicana onto different cities in around Mexico. I mean, they can go probably to San Luis, to Torreón, uh, they can go to Guadalajara, they can probably go to um, even Tijuana. I think, uh, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't think, here, here's the thing, I, if Diego Coca remains as a coach, I don't think, I, I don't think they're going to play in Monterrey. Period. Yeah, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. Um, but they can definitely go to you know Tijuana. They can go to Mazatlan. They can go to León. I think those those places are still, you know, they can find the next stronghold for La right. Selección Mexicana in those places. And and the only re- the only reason why I think it's uh it's bound or it's I make the argument the case for exploring that specific route is um, right now the the fan of La Selección Mexicana in La Ciudad de México is upset. Um, they, 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 I, I'm pretty sure they, they're, you've seen this before and you heard pundits around uh, ESPN and Fox, uh, Fox Deportes and whatnot saying that uh, el fan de La Selección Mexicana is pissed off because of what happened during, during last World Cup. But I think this has been building up for the last 10, 12 years, for the last at least three World Cups. I think people have are fed up. They they have lost all confidence in La Selección Mexicana. They know it's always going to be pan colombismo. They understand that no matter how hard they want to see it, how hard they want they want to uh, Mexico to win and you know become this next level uh, selección in in the World Cup, it probably won't happen. 
And so this time around, whenever you heard him booing uh, this last game against Jamaica, it isn't because, you know, they're pissed off at Igo Coca or they're pissed off uh, about the specific performance of that game. I think it's just a matter of, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pressure you. I'm just going to put the heat on you because I don't like what I'm seeing. And I think that also adds to uh, the the detrimental of La Selección Mexicana playing in La Azteca. It's like there's there's so 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 much build up pressure around uh, the the fans in Mexico City that I don't think the players feel comfortable anymore. So I think it, it will be nice to see La Selección Mexicana play outside Mexico City. I think on the last few games that they had outside Mexico City, they, it has been all right. You know, they had a good tur mm -hmm. turn up. They they defeated the the, the opposition. They won those games, um, and I, th I think it's time for for the Selección Mexicana to start start branching out. I mean, if you want to regain the, I guess the the support from your fans, if you want to reconnect with them, if you want to uh, remind them that you know La Selección is como dicen de todos, um, I think it's it's time for them to put their money where their mouth is and go play to all of these places. Don't go to Monterrey because they're gonna freaking book Diego Coca for sure. Um, and then on top of that, they're all, no, no, there's, it isn't only the fact that they have a, there's like a breach between uh, the Mexico fans and La Selección Mexicana. There's also like, man, nowadays we have so many things to do other than watching La Selección Mexicana. Like how right. many how many Nexus series you have on Q, how many Disney Plus uh, series you have on Q, like even just watching YouTube, right? Or doing anything besides watching La Selección Mexicana. So it's a tough cookie for them, but uh, there's definitely ways to make it uh to regain the appeal with the fans yeah they're definitely competing against uh other forms of entertainment for millennials and gen z there um and yeah definitely should maybe consider expanding i mean it can it can only be better right than freaking being in a stadesteca being booed um but i mean you know you, you can't blame those guys the fans that like yeah. you said it's been pressure building up for 12 years now that uh they probably just said you know instead of booing at the end when we do shitty in the world cup let's start booing at the beginning so that maybe things can change um so maybe also, gotta be I mean, the, the thing is that, you know, nowadays filling up a, you know, 50K stadium is difficult. Why not go to a smaller stadium where you can pack pack it and make, you know, the the pre the, the fans' presence, atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, atmosphere be felt uh, by, by the opposition. So, um, you know, I, that's what the US, USMNT does. They don't, they don't play at Rose Bowl. They don't play at, a, you know, the Gillette Stadium. They play at the Columbus Crew Stadium. They play at an, an MLS stadium because you, they know... They can fill up a 25k seater stadium, other, right. you know, compared to a 100k Arlington stadium in, in Dallas, right. right? So, I mean, the, yeah. the, the ties are ch changing, man. And La Selección Mexicana is just, you know, it's lagging. It's a, it's a lagger. It's not moving anywhere. It's not going as fast as they as they need to. And the other nations are either catching up or they're, you know, eating 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 their lunch. <laughs> Question: Would you if they? If you were still living in Monterrey and Selección Mexicana came tomorrow to Monterrey to play, would you go to watch them? Yeah, I probably would. I probably would. I probably would, and mainly just to to Julio Coca. No. <laughs> to, there you to go. Him. I know. I don't I mean, blame you, man. And it's Since... it is what it is, man. Yeah, I mean, dude, I mean, he he messed up, and I don't think he's gonna set a step a foot on on Monterrey yeah. soil any, anytime soon. Even if he yeah. goes to Rayado Stadium, he's gonna just he's just gonna get heckled. I mean, he screwed Tigres ever since he left. I mean, we've been playing like shit. Um, not to, 
not to say that uh, he was amazing with us, but I mean, you know, that kind of messed up the whole team feng shui there. But uh, anyway, Adrian, yeah, interesting topic, man. Um, if you're listening and uh, you listen to us on YouTube or a platform where you could comment, we'd love to uh, hear y'all's opinion on this topic. Uh, you know, very interesting topic that uh, we're passionate about. Do you think Mexico should maybe branch out, play in other cities? And uh, do you think Diego Coca should return to Monterrey to, to kind of get his uh, <laughs> his finger uh, finger flips at him um adrian before we take off man uh where can our listeners uh find us i want to remind you they can find us on youtube don't forget to subscribe hit the like button and turn on the notifications you can also find us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts on and lastly but not least you can find us at puro pinche gol on twitter and instagram we post stuff every now and then sounds good man um adrian always a privilege here being with you brother i'll see you in the next one Take it easy, my friend. See you, brother.